Chapter Two of Some Articles About Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two Mark Twain at Home. From The London World, a Society Weekly. The London World, in a series of pen portraits of celebrities at home, devoted a paper to Mark Twain at Hartford, giving a pleasant sketch of the characteristics of the great American humorist. It says, among those American authors who, because they have had the courage to cut loose from the apron strings of England, have achieved the greatest success both at home and abroad, Mark Twain is, in point of popularity, facile princeps. Those who only know him as the author of The Innocents Abroad and Roughing It are apt to imagine he is a kind of frontier joker of the type with which Bret Harte has made us familiar. It may be that there is even yet a vague suspicion of this bent, although his external person certainly shows no trace of it. If you see him in his charming home at Hartford in the Valley of the Connecticut, surrounded with every object which taste and wealth can procure, you feel that such a connection has been erroneous. The mansion, with its quaint old English architecture and its exquisite tiles and mosaics, the rich ferneries and half-tropical hothouses, are no mere extraneous accumulations, such as any man of wealth might create, but a gradual and organic outgrowth of the owner's mind, which gives you a delightful peep into the inner recesses of his character. The main building, as well as the stables, is built of dark red brick with dark brown trimmings interspersed with inlaid devices of scarlet painted brick and black greek patterns in mosaic the whole has a most novel and pleasing effect nothing gaudy and glaring but all arranged with a rare artistic taste and a strict regard for harmony in colors and outlines during the summer the outer window-sills are draped with hanging ferns and bright nasturtiums, and the woodwork of the broad East Indian portico is half concealed beneath the foliage of clambering vines. But as winter reigns supreme during a good many months of the year in New England, Mark Twain has taken care to provide himself with summer vistas, even while nature does not afford them. His library, the place where the owner is most frequently to be found, opens into a miniature greenhouse, full of tall, graceful ferns and blooming tropical plants. In the midst of all these luxuriant exotics, a fountain is constantly playing, shedding its spray over the smooth white rocks at its base. In the pleasant city of Hartford he has gathered about him a delightful circle of friends, authors, businessmen, and lawyers, to whom his hospitable doors are always open and he is, indeed, the prince of entertainers. Sitting in his richly furnished library, to whose beauty and artistic completeness half the lands of Europe have contributed, he will tell an anecdote or discuss a literary or social question with a calm directness and earnestness, revealing to you an entirely new side of his character that has nothing in common with that which he is wont to display to the public who throng to his lectures. Even his drollest stories he relates with this same earnest impressiveness, and with a face as serious as a sexton's. 
His brilliancy has a certain delightful quality, which is almost too evanescent to be imprisoned in any one phrase. You have no oppressive consciousness that you are expected to laugh. You rather feel as if the talker had unexpectedly taken you into his confidence, and you feel your heart going out toward him in return. Throughout his house Mark Twain has indulged liberally his taste for wood tints and quaint carvings. Each of the doors in the library is surmounted with carved cherubs and other biblical and mythical figures, spoils from some European pilgrimage. In his study on the second floor he revels in sphinxes and griffins, whose reclining bodies and capacious wings fashion themselves into luxurious lounges, easy-chairs, and sofas. The mantelpiece, with all its magnificent superstructure, had once adorned an old English or Scottish country seat, and Mark Twain was fortunate enough to pick it up during one of his many sojourns in England. Amid these surroundings, Mark Twain spends the time between breakfast and dinner composing, with much serious reflection, the sketches, novels, and dramas which have shaken the American public with laughter. After dinner the chances are that you will find him tranquilly smoking a cigar before the fire in the library, and chatting leisurely with some friend, who addresses him plainly as Mark, as his nom de plume somehow persists in clinging to him, both in his private and public relations. His rich and varied experiences in the past as a Western editor, gold-digger, and pilot on the Mississippi have stored his brain with abundant material for future works which have still to be written. Mark Twain is a man of middle height, solidly built but not stout. His features are all of a clear, massive modeling, and the prevailing expression seems to be resolute courage and determination. His upper lip is covered with a thick brown mustache, and the broad territory of his forehead is usually encroached upon by his brown curly hair. His eyes are small and keen, but are by no means lacking in kindliness and humor. In his whole bearing there is a frank cordiality which is very winning. His fine library and his easy conversation testify to the excellence of his literary taste. Mark Twain is a devoted admirer of Macaulay, and has a habit of ever returning to him when the lighter literary pablum of the day begins to pall upon his sense. The much-abused term professional humorist can hardly apply to Mark Twain. He is rather a constitutional humorist, because his mind is so fashioned that, in dealing with any subject whatever, the humorist point of view first and most naturally presents itself to him. For all that, he is very careful not to rush into publicity with a half-formed or half-perfected thought. His after-dinner speeches, which are probably read by a larger number of men and women in America than any public document, the President's message not accepted, would no doubt have been very good and very laughable, even if they had been entirely impromptu but the careful and critical revision to which he subjects them before their public appearance certainly refines their quality. When Mark Twain is not writing or making speeches, he smokes, and if he feels any further need of recreation, he takes it in playing billiards. 
in the third story of his house there is an elegantly appointed billiard-room where he often spends an evening with three or four masculine friends though he keeps handsome horses housing them in a superb stable and may be seen daily driving through the city with a fine pair of bays he is not much of a connoisseur of horseflesh or a sportsman in politics he at first impresses you as an indifferentist with perhaps a leaning toward pessimism but if you happen to touch certain chords which never fail to respond in an american bosom you soon discover that your first impression was very remote from the truth the fact is like many another thoughtful man mark twain sees plainly the gravity of the present and future in the united states and accordingly has very little patience with the spread egoism and cheap declamations of contending politicians probably his political creed is not very different from that of the independents a party which is daily growing among the citizens of the great republic End of chapter two mark twain at home read by john greenman